Let us start with prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, since the dawn of time and creation, you have had our end in mind that would come through Christ Jesus, your Son. Help us to keep our eyes firmly on that end, on that goal, and the glory that awaits us there. Through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Amen. Um, your Son, our Lord. Um, let's see. Where to start? Where to start? Wow. Mark, how many of you were in the first service? Did you like the gospel reading from Mark? Where is the gospel in that kind of? Um, yeah. It, we'll, I'll just read it real quick. It says, uh, anyone not against us is for us. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will, die, will by no means lose his reward. Um, so there were those doing things in Jesus' name and casting out demons and they were distressed. Um, some of that was probably because, hey, we're the ones supposed to be doing this, not them. But they too had heard of Jesus and believed and uh, were telling others and doing things in Jesus' name. Um, they could not do it in any other name. So, you know, Jesus says they are with us, not against us. Um, so even the smallest thing done in Jesus' name, a cup of water. Because you belong to Christ, you know, they will not lose their reward in doing that in Jesus' name. Um, but then the part where I say, this is kind of ringing a little bit. A touch. Down, a touch more. Okay. Um, <laughs> then this uh, this is uh, Mark 9 and I'm at 42 whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him to have a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea um, do you all know what a millstone is if you don't we have one we do do you know where it is? It's in the memory garden out here. If you follow the yellow round brick road out of the parking lot through the bushes, um, be careful because it's uneven. But when you get to the center of that memory garden, memorial garden, there is a, uh, yeah, one of those, a millstone um, in the pavers. And it's about mm, this big around, has a hole in the middle of it. And they literally found it on this property when they were doing the site work on it. So they set it aside, said, hey, we got a millstone. And we'll put it in the ground. I don't know how thick it is. I imagine it's probably, you know, something like this. But we have one. Um, to, and we're not going to throw it around anybody's neck. 
I hope. Um, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him. The, the, those that would tempt people away from Christ and cause them to sin in some way, um, and you can, I guess, maybe balance that with the end of James 5. Um, and it, where it reads in verse 19, My brothers, if, any, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That is not the person bringing them back, saving their soul from death and covering a multitude of their sins. It's them saving that person that they're calling back, bringing back, saving their soul from death and covering their multitude of sins because their sins will not be held against them because of the truth they are given of Christ. So, sharing the gospel is much better than doing things against it. Um, and then it goes on, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Um, this image of hell was the area just out of Jerusalem. <laughs> was it Hin Hinnon Valley, I think? But it's where, it's where they dumped the trash and where they burned trash and sacrifices, bodies were burned and sacrificed. And there's this constant odor and flame and just this uh, disgustingness, if you will, in this area that uh, people could sort of get a glimpse of what this might look like. Um, but where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Well, eh, we all know what happens to things that get left out to rot in worms. Um, it's just always there and it's unquenchable. Um, but this idea of cutting off your limbs um, I'm glad we don't do that or have to. Um, it, but it points to the severity of our sin that Christ has covered. Um, and that we're forgiven. And, you know, these are very, uh, what do I want to say, very over-the-top statements, I guess, to, to make one uh, aware of, of the how bad sin is, how bad... God views sin. I mean, if you could imagine without Christ, we'd all be walking around on a stump with only one arm and one eye. We would be a strange-looking brood of people trying to please God. But God perfects us. Um, he forgives our sin, so we don't have to do those things. But I guess some of the suffering we endure, um, spoken of in the sermon and, you know, in James is that sin uh, that's still in us, that we still commit, 
that we seek forgiveness for um, does cause us suffering uh, that without Christ, people just might consider doing such things. You know, it's, um, there are actual disorders where people uh, dislike parts of their own body. And perfectly good arm, and they just, no, I've got to go away. And they try and hide it. And eventually they're only cured when the, they finally say, this is a psych thing. And, uh, okay, we'll take your arm off. And then they're like, okay, good. Arm's gone. Hey, I'm happy now. I don't have that arm. You know, it's like, I don't know. But to think that it would be better if you cut it off, but we don't have to because Christ has died for our sins. Um, and we don't have that threat hanging around our neck with faith in Christ. Uh, but we'll be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Um, salt is flavor. It's, uh, it's curative. It's, uh, you know, it, it preserves things. And we are to have this saltiness of the gospel in us that gives our life flavor and meaning that we can share with others. And without that, um, we really have nothing in ourselves. Um, so it's given to us. Um, if you go back and look at Numbers, uh, let's see, where are we? Numbers 11. And the, the gospel, the, I'm sorry, the uh, Old Testament reading today was really cut up to leave some, I guess, repetitive material out. It was like 4 to 6, then 10 to 16, then 24 to 29. Um, but it, it, the chapter is about the people complaining and uh, with the, uh, the food that they've been given, among other things. And uh, just to read some, and the people, this is from 11.1, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Here's the Lord as this pillar of fire by night and this cloud by day, and the anger burns and the fire consumes some of the outside of the camp. To a rational, logical person, that would probably be a real sign to go, hey, I better shut my mouth. You know, it just, but no. Um, then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tabera because the Lord, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. All this stuff. Their mind is just like, Oh, we remember the lovely days of being in Egypt when we were beaten by Pharaoh and killed and had to make bricks with no straw and had to work triple shifts. And, but yeah, oh, the meat we had to eat while we were there, why the fish we ate, and it all cost, no. Their 
their mind is just askew, and, and they're accusing the Lord of, you know, hey, we had it so great there, and you took us out here. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Food from heaven comes down every morning there. Just go pick it up. Sweet, pleasing, tasting, and they're sick of it. And they want the old stuff. They, you know, if God could have said, go ahead, I'll take you back to Egypt. Then, you know, would they have said, sure, let's go. You know, were they that, um, that upside down, I guess, in their thinking? Now, the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of uh, bedillium. I don't know what bedillium is. The people went out about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp at night, the manna fell with it. And if you remember, when the manna fell, they were told, take just what you need for the day or for the Sabbath, take enough for the Sabbath, but don't take more than you need because it will rot. And some did. And the next day they went to look at it and there were worms in it and it was rotten. God's message was, I will provide all you need. Trust me. Just trust me. Don't think you need to store up for yourself. Um, and here they are in the wilderness and complaining they don't have meat, but they have all they need. So Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? So now, now it's about Moses, and he's not happy. Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? And he's talking to the Lord. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? That just struck me. Similar thing said by the, uh, by the disciples when they were told to Go feed them. They're out in the wilderness. You, you feed them. Well, Lord, where are we? That's a week. You know, that's a year's wages to get this much bread and fish to feed all these people. Where are we? How are we? It's the same lack of faith all over again. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. Am I not able to carry all this people alone? I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight that, I may, that, I may not, that they may not see my wretchedness. If you will kill me at once. I prefer death over having to deal with all these people and being seen this way. So then the Lord says to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you 
there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not just eat one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? God's like, yeah, okay. I'll give you meat. Here you go. I mean, until it comes out of your nostrils. just, Just the image of you just... You know, you're just going to eat it until you burst. And you'll hate it. Um, he's just going to give them over to what they desire. To the point of it, I guess, being you know, a, a manifestation of their sin against God in, in saying, why did we come out of Egypt? And doubting Him. But Moses said, the people, Moses said, the people among whom I number 600,000 on foot... You have said, I will give them meat, that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish in the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? So Moses is like, uh, how is this going to be? And the Lord says to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses is going to get a lesson too. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Midad, And the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tents, so they were prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. And then comes the plague of quail. Interesting. It's a, it's a plague. They, the, you know, the plagues were used by God to show Pharaoh his might. And here he brings one upon um, the, the Israelites who have been saved from Pharaoh and brought out. And, okay, here you go. Have quail. So much that it's laying all over the ground. Um, this complaining and this suffering, it wasn't enough for them that they were fed. If you read the story of the manna, they were fed. They all had plenty to eat. It came down, they ate it, they were full, they were satiated, and they weren't to keep any more. Um, and the fact that the manna came because God was with them. And really, they didn't even need the manna. Just God with them in the wilderness 
could have kept them alive by itself. But he saw to their bodily need and fed them. And so now the manna is not enough and the fact that the Lord's with them isn't enough. We want beefsteak and potatoes with a side of onions grilled to perfection and garlic. And we would like it now, please. You know, I mean, but, I, I, yeah. But, but God had all they needed just in his own presence with them. Um, so you go to James, which is chapter 5, and the total reading for this week included uh, 5.1 through um, 12, which I did not read with the text that we had, um, but we will now. It's a warning to the rich. It says, "Come now, you rich, weep. Um, come, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Um, as pointed out, this is a, a uh, seventh commandment thing. They stole from those that worked for them. They didn't pay them what they should have. They kept it for themselves and, and paid them just as little as they could um, and lined their pockets. Um, but it all comes to naught. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Um, the righteous person is not to be read as Jesus, but as their neighbor. Um, so they don't resist. And then it goes on in verse 7. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits uh, for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. There is uh, the people of Israel grumbling against Moses. They have the Lord with them. They have manna. They have all they need. And they grumble. Um, so too do we. Uh, if we look how richly we're blessed by God and then we grumble because we don't think we have enough. Um, whatever it might be, we want more. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it's a warning to all people. I, I don't even, I mean, even the crazy wealthy, you know, they just, they want more. It, it's insatiable. Um, but we're to be patient and wait. And we're supposed to be waiting for the coming of the Lord. Um, behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
as an example, I'm reading verse 10, I'm sorry. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. We, uh, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Um, all the prophets who spoke against uh, the ways of God's people and the coming of the uh, of the uh, conquest that would befall the northern and southern kingdoms, um, they killed the prophets, you know. Um, but they were steadfast in what they did and in. Uh, preaching God's word. I think it was, uh, we said last week, it was Jeremiah. He was steadfast to the point. He became one of those that was sent into exile himself and sent to Egypt. And if you read uh, the book of Lamentations, he's talking about, you know, his experiences in Egypt. Um, but the Lord's purpose was to restore. So the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He did not just wipe them all out. There was always a remnant that would fulfill the Lord's goals of salvation for all people. Um, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And I was talking with the confirmation students about this, you know, and how we swear and Shelley reminded me that, well, no, we don't put our hand on the Bible anymore. We just, you know, put our hand up and say, so help me, God, whatever God that is when you're in court, if you have one. They don't even do that anymore. No reference to God. Okay, so what do they do? So help me, me? That's it. Yeah. You see, the, the, the deal here was, let your yes be yes and your no be no, was that um, a righteous person would tell the truth. They would not lie. Uh, people of God would not lie to each other, and they would not lie to their neighbor for selfish gain or to harm somebody. So the theory being, if a Christian came in and put his hand on the Bible, swearing on the Bible that she would tell the truth as an oath before God, was a statement of, yes, God is my witness, I will tell the truth. And it meant something. Um, in theory, they could have shown that through their life. You would look at the person and say, look at this man or woman and the life they've led. It, 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 you know, it, what, they speak the truth in everything they do, so let's hear from them. But uh, I think we've all seen how that's kind of out the window at this point, and it's because of our sinful nature. Um, we don't want to trust people, maybe because we know our own nature, and we can't trust them. So, if we had this wonderful, sinless existence God intended, and we never fell into sin, and we never left the garden, we wouldn't have to testify against each other. Because no one would sin against his brother, be drug into court, and have to have a decision or rendering made on their conduct or what they did. We would all have our neighbor in our best interest and in our sights to make sure nothing happened to them. 
um, we would treat their body like our body, their reputation like our reputation. Um, but that's not the case. But that it would be. Um, and then there's the prayer of faith, where our, our epistle lesson in the service read this morning. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Um, the power of prayer and calling out to God for our needs, our forgiveness, um, strength when we're suffering um, is a blessed thing to have. Um, there comes a point in your life it really is all you have. Um, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And the highest praise we can give is God's own words back to him. That's why in our service, so much of our hymnody is it's all Bible-based. It just, it's God's word back to him and what God has done. It's a recanting of the wonderful things he has done for us. Um, singing psalms. Um, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let, let them pray over him. This goes back to the power of prayer, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then what they do in the name of the Lord, um, we baptize in the name of the Lord. And in the name of the Lord, faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Um, that is not raised up out of bed to walk. That's not, you know, raised up, healed. That, that, that is speaking of eternal life. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Um, really, when you get people near death and their fear of having to face God, um, that's what needs to be placated, that you don't need to fear God because Christ is standing there praying for you already before the Father. He's praying that you're forgiven, that this one's mine. I've died for this one. Um, so the prayers of, of, of Christians and those around you are reminders of that, um, that your sins are forgiven. Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, the, being able to confess your sins to one another, I, I think it's very difficult for people. Um, the, uh, we haven't made a practice of personal confession and absolution as a standard thing we do, if you will. Um, the, uh, I think it would be good to just have that. Um, and I, I've thought, you know, I, I have tried not to change too much in this interim period, if you will, but um, to be able to have your sins heard and know they're going into the ear or vault of somebody that will never speak of them again and being told you're forgiven is pretty powerful. Um, the, uh, 
I think it would be a good thing. Um, I, I know we, you know, we forget the, forgive the sins of our children, you know, when they do something wrong. But as God's children, um, you know, corporate confession, absolution, you know, is kind of like if you have six kids and they all, you know, were playing in the house and the house caught fire, or I don't know, make up something terrible. But you told them, you know, it's okay. We'll get through this, you know. You're all forgiven. You know, one of you should have thought to call the fire department. One of you should have run to the neighbor's house. Um, bucket of water would have gone a long way while you were trying to see if, hey, would it stuff in a trash can burn and not do something? You know, I don't know. But you all were kind of culpable in this, but you're all forgiven. But maybe there's that one. And you don't quite know who, because they haven't fessed up, but the one that lit the match. And they're going, yeah, I'm not so sure that's for me. Because I really did the really, really, really bad thing. And maybe when you figure out who it is, you need to take them aside and say, yeah, I know what you did. And it's okay. You're forgiven. Um, that's kind of what personal absolution is. You know, you get the chance to really, here's my sin, and uh, be forgiven. And there are some very burdensome sins out there that people have, that just to be able to speak of them and let them out, uh, one, psychologist would tell you it's cathartic, just to open up to somebody, but to open up and know that God doesn't hold it against you. Um, is a marvelous thing. Um, something else flew through my mind there. Okay, I guess it's gone. Um, but uh, we'll see. I, I think it would. I think it would be a, a, a blessed thing to offer people. I know where I was going. Um, if you look at the statistics on abortion, the odds in a congregation of this many people of all the women here have never having had an abortion are pretty slim. Even among Christians. Um, possibly because earlier in your life your college years, you weren't thinking, I just need to get through college and, you know, this guy doesn't love me now because he found out and he doesn't want to be any part of this. And maybe that seemed like the best route at that point in time. And then you grow in your knowledge of Christ, you grow in your knowledge of all things, and you realize that, well, that was a life and that there are some eternal consequences there and look what I've done. And you harbor that guilt within you. Or maybe as a man, you harbor that guilt because before you were married, there was another woman. Maybe that's enough guilt. But, you know, maybe she was pregnant. And um, the two of you decided, and okay, you did it, and you broke up later. And somewhere out there, uh, you know, was a child, is a child. You, know, you think you have an abortion and it's done, it's over. No, there was a child. From the moment there was a child and 
God knows there's a child. And in heaven, we hope there's a child. If the parents were in Christ, that that child was in Christ. Um, <clears throat> but to have, your, have hands laid on you and tell you you're forgiven, just like the kid who put the match in the trash can, um, that this forgiveness is in fact for you would be very powerful. And just to have it there for people and know it's there whenever they decide to do it. Um, I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. It goes on to speak of Elijah who was a man with a nature like ours. He was a man. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Um, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Our, our suffering that we speak of in this life <clears throat> ends in death. Um, we are suffering continually in this life. We're suffering the effects of our sin. We're suffering illness. We're suffering in, in many, many ways. I, I think um, one suffering we have is for those around us who do not share our faith. Be it they, our family members, friends, co-workers. And we suffer that they don't share the faith. We probably are made to suffer if we try and say something to them about it because they don't want to hear it. Uh, but you know they need it. Um, and, you know, it's just uh, for one sinner that repents, heaven rejoices, you know, the angels rejoice. Uh, and my brothers, if any one of you, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. That, that soul, the person he brings back, their soul is saved from death because... Christ died for them, and a multitude of sins will be covered. Boom, James ends. That's just abrupt, if you will, compared to, excuse me, some of the other books. Um, but it, it's, it's that bringing people back. And that's really what we do every Sunday, is we bring people back. You know, I'd say confirmation class, and I said, here, you know, you're always, am I moving this way away from God, or am I moving this way closer to God? And when you come closer to God through studying His Word, from receiving the sacraments, from uh, being in worship and hearing His Word, it brings you closer to God. It brings you closer to the truth that you can lie there in life's last moments. And if you've been around dying people, grandparents, family members that are suffering, uh, their prayer does become, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Why is it taking so long? And to be able to do that with just a firm hope, and I spoke of this in the sermon, not a hope of, gosh, I hope we have meatloaf for dinner tonight. I really like meatloaf. No, 
a firm hope. You know this is the truth, that you know it's going to happen, that you know your eyes are going to close, you're going to die, and boom, you're going to be there with the Lord. And that your body is not going to decay, but it's going to come out of the grave. Um, what a blessing. And what a blessing to sit with someone and tell them, yeah, that's true. That's what's going to happen because of Christ and all he's done. Um, so, I guess that's what I've got. Any questions? Thoughts? No? Okay. That being it, we'll close with prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, give us grace sufficient for each day that we do not grumble and complain, but that we have our faith in you all the way to the end, all the way to our death, so that we can pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you.